All right. Um, thank you. Stop. They got me on a timer. I got to get going. Um, I am so honored to be up here and to be with you guys tonight. Again, if this is your first time, we're just thrilled that you're here. Uh, when Jared asked me uh, that he wanted me to teach about a month or so ago, he kind of looked on the calendar and saw that it was April Fool's Day. Uh, so I thought, I thought he was joking, uh, but I guess not. Um, joke's probably on me. But uh, it's not just April Fool's Day. It's also Palm Sunday. And as we continue our Enter In series, we're going to look at that story together uh, in John 12. And so Jarrett challenged many of us to, to read that last week. And so if you were able to do that throughout this week, you'll, you'll be ahead. But uh, I'm excited to be up here. I'm excited to be a part of a church that does stuff like that. I'm excited to be a part of this community with each of you. And so uh, thanks for the ways that you give and serve and are a part of this church. Uh, it's an honor to be being it with you. So uh, let's, let's pray uh, before we get going. Uh, that would help me probably. So let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much um, just for your presence, for the truth that you desired to enter into our lives. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for this church and this place that we get to gather in the city and lift you high. And so I, I pray that, that your love and grace would shine through tonight, that as we look at your word, that we would see you perhaps in a different light than we have before, um, and that you would speak to us. So we, we ask that you to open our hearts and open our minds to hear from you, to, to see you for who you really are, and that we would never be the same because of it. And so it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, like Jarrett said before, you know, today's trying to be a nice day, uh, and, and uh, it's not doing so hot. Um, but I grew up in Southern California, and so you can ask my wife or the staff or people I hang out with, uh, I would much rather be in shorts and sandals than almost anything else. Um, and, and so the moment it gets above 50 degrees, I will try and wear shorts and sandals, and oftentimes my, my toes will turn purple, but it's cool. Uh, but, you know, a couple weeks ago when we have like 78 degrees, 80 degrees in March in Chicago, I'm like the biggest fan. I'm excited. Like, it's, it's happening. I packed my coat away, put it under the bed. I'm calling all my friends in San Diego. It's like, oh, is it 56? It's 78 in Chicago, right? And, uh, and our buildings are bigger, you know, and all this stuff, right? And I'm, and I'm excited. And, and then, uh, you know, last Monday happens, and it drops back to normal temperatures, and I'm frustrated, right? I'm, I'm angry with my friends in California because now it's warmer there, right? I'm angry at the sun for giving light and not heat and confusing me when I wake up in the morning, um, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And so it's so easy for, for me, and maybe you're the same way, for, for my mood and my attitude to go from top to bottom real fast. Uh, and, and we do this not just with weather. We do this notoriously in Chicago with our sports teams. Uh, maybe you're an avid Cubs fan, and then the season starts, um, and then you just kind of go through the deal. Uh, you know, and all the Sox fans are like, yeah, well, careful. Uh, you know, like two years ago, the Bears were on, on the road to the Super Bowl. If it wasn't for those Packers, and, and, but everything was going well, and then, you know, the next year, things are looking hot, things are going well, but then Cutler breaks his thumb, and all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, we love this guy, and now he has to move out of Chicago to get away from, you know, his fans, uh, you know, and we go from, again, top to bottom real fast when it comes to sports. I was at a Cubs game early in the season last year, and everybody's cheering, everybody's coming up, so encouraging, kind of like you guys just were, you know, everybody's coming up, they're like, yeah, you can do it, and then they strike out, and it's like, oh, I had a boy, I had a boy, it's all good, you know, uh, and then I went to another game later in the season, and the intensity in which people were, were screaming and shouting and, and being excited was still there, the words they were using were less encouraging uh, towards the end of the season, um, but again, there, there's some areas in our life where we see this happen over and over again. 
that, that we go kind of from love to hate. We have a love-hate relationship with different areas or opportunities or situations in our life. That, that it's not just sports, thank goodness, but, but maybe for some of us we've had some really uh, difficult situations where we were, you know, at the top of the hill one day and the next day we're in the bottom of the valley. Maybe for, for some of you, a few years ago, you were standing across from someone saying, I do, all dressed up, and your family's all there, and you're excited. And now as you look around your life and your relationships, you're wondering if you still do. Maybe for some of you, you had a business all planned out, and you maybe ventured out on your own or started a new uh, type of company or, or got a promotion, and everything was kind of lining up the way it was supposed to. And then 2008 happened, and the economy dropped out. Maybe you lost your job. And you've been trying to get back into it and trying to make it up or trying to make up the savings that you had to burn through to keep things afloat. And you keep wondering, is this going to be the year when I finally get back in the groove, back on top? Is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? Maybe for some of you, it's getting into school, getting into college or grad school, and everything was lined up, and you had it very planned out because that's just the kind of person that you are. It's probably why you're going to grad school. Uh, you know, and you have it kind of all mapped out, and, and your future is on this very specific path and then you don't get in. Or you do get in and then the money's not there and now you're asking all sorts of different questions of where do I go? What do I do? This was the only option I thought and, and now I'm kind of derailed a little bit. Maybe for some of you it's relationships and, and the way you've kind of gone in and out of different relationships, trying to find what it is you're looking for and yet you just can't seem to land and, and find it. For, for some of you, this month, maybe, has been one of the most difficult months in your health in your whole life. That you woke up one day, just like any other day, it seemed normal, and yet, by the time your head hit the pillow again that night, your whole future was different. The doctor called, the appointment didn't bring the news you were hoping, and, and all of a sudden, your heart has changed. Your heart towards your, your future, your life, maybe even towards God, has changed. Maybe for some of you, if you were honest, if someone met you at a coffee shop or was talking to you six months ago, and they said, what's your life going to look like six months from now? You probably wouldn't have said, yeah, I'll be sitting in a church. And yet what God has done unexpectedly, perhaps, over the last six months in your life has been transformational, and you're not the same person that you were. And we have these moments where things can change suddenly, unexpectedly, sometimes for the good, oftentimes not so good. And, and I'm on the same page. This happened to me. Uh, this week, some of you might know Katie, my wife and I, uh, we, we moved here, uh, we were student pastors in Iowa before we were here, and we moved out to kind of help get Soul City started, and so we've been here a little over a year and a half, and uh, we have some people that were renting our house, and everything looked great, and we packed up, and we quit our jobs, and we put everything in U-Hauls, and, and drove east to the city, and about a month ago, our property manager called and let us know that our renters are backing out, and, and now I'm kind of right back onto that emotional roller coaster of up and down. It's very turbulent, but it doesn't really take me anywhere, which is exciting if it's a real roller coaster, not so fun if it's just your emotions, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm going up and down, and I'm asking God, like, we thought we were doing what you wanted us to do. We thought we were being obedient. We thought everything was going to go okay. And, and when I'm honest in, in kind of the darker places of my heart, when I'm just me and God, if I'm truthful, I would say, God, I just want you to take care of this. Can you just, like, fix this and, like, move it off of my radar? I just don't want to think about it. Just take care of this. And, and yet, what's so beautiful about God, what we're going to learn today from our, our study in John 12, is that God is so much more interested in what he does in us than what he does for us. Right? That when we focus only on what God wants to do for us, 
we can actually miss what he wants to do in us. And my hope is that tonight, as we, as we walk out of the doors, that we would go out different, that we would have a new perspective, a, a, a shifted focus, that we wouldn't just look at what God can do for us, but we would say in those moments that maybe are difficult, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me about me, about this world, about you? What are, what are you doing? And again, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to ask God to do things for us. He actually, he actually commands us to do that. But when we only focus on that and that becomes a litmus test of God's faithfulness, we miss something that happens in us. We miss something that God wants to develop and transform and grow in us. And so we're going to look at this passage that, like I said, Jarrett challenged us to read last week. And it's the story of Palm Sunday. And it's the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And, and we can assume and we can read that Jesus probably entered into Jerusalem many, many times before. But for some reason, this time, this time was different. And so if you want to grab the Bible that's in front of you, uh, if you brought your own, that's great. If it's on your iPhone or iPad or whatever, that's awesome. Uh, you're cooler than the rest of us, I guess. But um, if you want to grab the blue Bible, if you didn't bring one with you, if you can, it's right on the seat back in pocket right in front of you. And uh, we say this every week, that if you don't have a Bible, if, if you don't have one that's yours that you can read, uh, we believe this book is absolutely transformational and, and just so helpful for us. And so we would love for you to take this home with you. Uh, we'd love for you to steal a Bible from church up your street cred a little bit. So you can, uh, you can do that. Uh, but John 12, verse 12 through 16, it's on page 992 in the Blue Bible. If it's on your iPad, just keep going like this. Um, but it's a 992, and we're going to look at this story. And what's happening here is that this book, the Gospel of John, is written by one of Jesus' best friends, that John and many others have been tracking with Jesus, literally following him around for years, for, for three-plus years. And as, he's, as Jesus has already, you know, by the time John writes this, Jesus has already you know, been crucified, he's risen from the dead, he's ascended to heaven, and John's looking back saying, this, this little period of life that Jesus lived was really, really important. I'm going to write this down because I don't want to forget. And so we, we're going to see in this passage that some things are kind of told in real time, and other things are kind of John commenting on what he now knows is true that he didn't know was true at the time. But, but John spends the good second half of his book focusing in on the last week of Jesus' life, the week that in the, the church calendar starts today, and goes through Easter. And he spends a majority of his writing focusing on this seemingly very short period of time, but it obviously was very, very significant. And so what's happened when, when this story where we pick it up is that Jesus has been gaining popularity. He's, he's the talk of the town. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of people that are following him around everywhere he goes, sleeping in the wilderness just to listen to this guy talk, because they heard things that were true and things that maybe were unbelievable that he'd fed thousands of people with just one little boy's lunch. And so all the guys in that area are like, I heard there's free food. Like, where, where are we going? I'm going, right? Maybe you're like that, right? They also heard that just recently, a couple few short days before, that he'd actually raised one of his best friends from the dead. Again, unbelievable stuff. But it says that everyone that was there believed that Jesus was the Son of God when they saw that happen, right? Why wouldn't you? That's pretty amazing. Right? And so Jesus, his popularity is growing. Everyone is wanting to be around him. He's healing people that are sick. He's, he's helping people see that are blind. And, and Jesus is the talk of the town. And so as they come up to Jerusalem, they've done this many times, but this time seems different. So we can pick it up in verse 12. It says, The next day there was a great crowd that had come for the festival, and they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. 
So Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, and he rode into the city. For as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. This is kind of John's commentary. He said, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had, been, had to be done to him, right? And so we see that, that all of a sudden Jesus starts riding into this, to this city, and it's, and it's like the Chicago Marathon. Everybody's lying in the streets. It's this like spontaneous party erupts. It's kind of like a flash mob, but biblical, right? And that's what happens, right? And everybody's kind of crowding around, and they're cutting down palm branches, right? And which that seems like, okay, that's weird. Is that just what was around? But the palm branches actually, they're kind of like their state flag. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to have a flag because, as we learned last week, they were people in waiting. They were waiting for God to fulfill his promise to bring salvation to bring hope to bring freedom and so they're cutting down these palm branches and they're waving them in the air and they're putting them on the, on the ground as Jesus enters into the temple and they're so excited they're caught up in this fanfare wanting Jesus to do something for them shouting Hosanna Jesus we want you to be our king we want you to save us from Roman Empire right so can you just can you imagine right all, the, all of a sudden everybody just kind of spontaneously shows up it's not planned there was no like schedule they just grab palm branches and they're waving in the air shouting hosanna hosanna i mean can you imagine what that would be like if all of a sudden there's people everywhere there's adults there's kids and all of a sudden palm branches are flowing around and and jesus is kind of just walking in going okay that's what's happening it's kind of like this right Give it up for our Soul City kids and our Soul City kids too. I love Soul City kids. What they're doing is incredible. Uh, I love them mostly because I'm married to the Soul City kids director. But your kids are cute too. That's, that's part of it. Um, I see some of you pulling your camera phones, taking pictures. Like, hey, my kid got a smaller branch. And that, that kid had two. What's up with that? Right, we'll talk about it later. Right, um, but that's exactly what happened. Like, all of a sudden, this thing kind of erupts. Right? This kind of spontaneously happens. And everybody's kind of caught up in it, right? They don't even know what they're saying, perhaps. And yet, what they're asking for is something very specific of Jesus. They're wanting Jesus to do something for them. Again, they're in waiting. They've been living in captivity in the Roman Empire. They have to pay incredible taxes just to do life the normal way. They're, they're forbidden from worshiping in the way that they want to worship. They're, they're taxed and looked over and controlled, and yet they've heard of this promise, maybe for generations, that God is going to bring salvation that God is going to bring freedom, and, and they're wanting it to be through Jesus. But the way they're wanting it is different. The way they're wanting it is not what Jesus was going to offer. Again, as they cut down these palm branches, this is very intentional. It's very political. And as Jesus rides in on this donkey instead of a horse, it's a symbol that he's bringing peace and not war. And so they're like, yes, this is going to happen. And, of course, the disciples are excited, right? They've been tracking with this guy for three years, kind of, you know, just bumming it around, kind of like vagabonds, like they're just living off the land for three years, they're sleeping on rocks, right? And all of a sudden, like, okay, this is good. I, I like this, 
right? And we even read previously that they start kind of vying for who's going to be number two, right? If Jesus, if you're going to be king, I want to be the duke, right, or something, right? I don't know. And we even hear that one of them sends their mom in to do the talking for him, so he didn't make it. But, um, you know, so they're kind of like, they're getting ready for something really big to happen. They think that Jesus is going to fulfill everyone's wants and wishes. And yet one of the other disciples, Matthew, who also writes a story about Jesus' life in his gospel, shares the same experience where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And yet, I, I don't know if he like saw it out of the corner of his eye or whatever, but he lets us know that in the midst of all this excitement, of all this fanfare, Jesus begins to cry. Seems weird, right? Why, why is that happening? Why is Jesus crying? John even alludes to it in, in verse 16, right? At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that all these things had been written about him and that all these things had been done to him. The, the reason that Jesus is not responding the same way, the reason that Jesus' perspective is different than everybody else's is because he knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows that exactly what is happening on Palm Sunday happens to us, where people want him to do something for them and they miss what he's wanting to do in them. That This crowd and even his disciples had a very clear, very clear perspective on who they wanted Jesus to be. And he knew that in just four short days, he was going to disappoint, perhaps frustrate them, to the point that the same crowd that's cheering, Hosanna, we want you to be our king, right? Is going to be chanting, crucify him, kill him. That the cheers of adoration and praise are going to turn into jeers and accusations. That they're going to mock him and they're going to have him beaten into it within an inch of his life and then nailed to a cross. And, and so Jesus is ready, perhaps even, to disappoint and frustrate this crowd. Like, Jesus, we're going to cut down branches, we're going to sing, you're going to ride in, you're going to be king, it's going to be cool, it's going to be epic, fall in, like, just play your part, Jesus. And yet, Jesus is ready to do what is harder, because he has a different plan, a better plan, and that he is about what God is about. And so even though there's times when we want Jesus to do something for us, he is more focused on doing something in us, transforming our hearts, transforming who we are from the inside out, not just fixing this problem as difficult and as frustrating as that is, right? Some of us are, are in those moments, right, where, where maybe if, if you're honest, your, your prayer is, God, I just want you to fix this. I just want you to take care of this. I just want you to make this go away, or I just want you to bring this into my life, and then everything will be okay. Maybe for some of us, we've been following Jesus, and we've try, been trying to be obedient to what he wants us to do, and so we feel like God even owes us for being good. There's a, an old, uh, well, he's dead now, so not really old, but a long time ago, there's a pastor and a theologian named Jonathan Edwards, and he says this quote, which I think is really interesting. He says, whatever we idolize, we eventually demonize. Whatever we idolize, we eventually demonize. It's because anything that we put in that place isn't going to fulfill it. They're not going to live up to our expectation. And so sometimes we can even idolize marriage. When I get married, everything will be fine. Then you get married. Everything's not fine, right? You can idolize your husband or your wife. And then when they eventually let you down because, guess what, they're human too, maybe your heart has turned demonizing them and accusing them. Maybe you've idolized career. You've idolized, you know, if I make this amount of money, or if I get this position, or if I start my own company, 
Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be all right. Then life will go the way it's supposed to. And you work yourself to the bone and you get frustrated and you get burnt out. And you're still not fulfilled. This can even happen in church, right? We can set people up to, to fulfill these expectations of us. And then when they let us down, because again, they're human too, we can demonize the church. We can demonize people we know in our, in our small groups or in our relationships. This happens all the time. And so that's exactly what happened to Jesus, right? They, they were wanting, not that they were making Jesus an idol, right? But they were wanting this thing that they wanted from Jesus. They were making that an idol. The thing they wanted Jesus to do for them became more important than who Jesus actually was. And this obviously is difficult, right? That, that when our faith is stretched and, and God doesn't seem to come through the way we want him to come through, we can lose faith. And so maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're like, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Am I allowed to say that in church? Yeah, you are. It's okay. Breathe out, you know? It's a human thing. It's the exact story that we're seeing that's happening here on Palm Sunday. That's, that's the story behind the story is that people wanted something from Jesus and, and he wasn't ready to give it to them, right? This happened to me when I was uh, younger. I was growing up, um, you know, this was a pretty profound and difficult season of my life, but I grew up going to the going to church almost every week. It was very uncommon for Kurt to miss a Sunday. And, uh, and yet, I didn't start a relationship with Jesus until about I started high school. So, I mean, for a while, I was kind of just around it. But um, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but I was kind of given this do this, don't do this sort of religion. Uh, it was very disconnected. There was no transformation. Like, Jesus was sometimes not even a part of it, but definitely there was plenty of rules, right? And... and um, so I grew up a pretty good kid, definitely wasn't perfect. Um, had a couple of times when I really made some big mistakes, but I was a pretty good kid. And I was kind of, you know, Ned Flanders. Uh, didn't help that I had glasses. Um, but that was me, right? And, and I grew up thinking that if I do these things that God has asked me to do, if I'm a good person, then God will help good things happen to me, right? I'm good, I get good things. It seems like a fair deal, Right? And I expected God to operate on my terms that way. And I was very disappointed then when it didn't work out. And so when my world kind of came crumbling down uh, with some stuff in my family and stuff in my church, an unexpected turn for the worse, I was really upset. I was really frustrated. And, and I remember saying to God, like, I was good. And this is how you repay me. Like, why are you letting this happen? Couldn't you have stopped this? I didn't go to the Blink-182 show. Right? I didn't see something about Mary. There's something, but I don't know what it is still. Right? Like, why is this happening? And, and it was one of those moments that I learned, again, hindsight, to say that God was utilizing that experience and allowing that difficulty in my life to break me of my religion, to break apart this Pharisee that was growing inside my heart. See, what happened is I was so good that I expected you to be good too. If I wasn't having any fun, you aren't allowed to either, right? And, and it took this experience for God to show me what it's like to, that we're all human beings in need of grace. And as easy as it was at first for me to point fingers, through God's loving grace, he disciplined me and he led me and he gave me new perspective over time to see that that situation needed to happen in my life for me to grow. That he was preparing me for something bigger in the future that I wasn't ready for if I was stuck in that do this, don't do this religion. 
Because that was, that was moralistic deism at its best, right? And instead, what Jesus wants, he goes, no, no, no. I don't want you to know about me or know what good things to do. I want you to know me. I want you to let me enter in, even in those difficult circumstances, especially in those difficult circumstances. In those moments where we want to shove God away, we say, God, you're not operating the way I'm expecting you to operate. Maybe you've left. Maybe you're not real. Maybe you've abandoned me. That's actually when Jesus wants to enter in to those exact same moments and to bring healing, to bring growth, to bring new perspective and transformation. And so for some of you, maybe tonight, that's the reason why it's difficult, it's been difficult for you to even sit here. For you to even come to church when someone invited you is because something's happened in your life. There's a situation maybe with a family member or with your work, maybe with your health, that you just it's difficult for you to wrap your head around the idea even of a loving God. Because you become jaded and disenchanted because of that situation. And I want to let you know this is what's so beautiful about the person of Jesus, is that he can actually even take our experiences of disappointment with him and turn them into opportunities for transformation. That even in those moments where we want to run from God the most and we're the most confused or the most hurt, that, that Jesus wants to be in those moments with us. And that through that, he can draw us closer to him than ever before. The reason I know this is true is because it actually happened to Jesus, right? This isn't something he was just talking about. This actually happened to him. Again, that, that follower, uh, other disciple of his, Matthew, writes this down. You don't have to turn there, but it'll be up on the screen writes in his gospel about this time where he saw Jesus experience and and prepare for the most difficult, the most painful, the most trying period of his life. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be accused of things he never did, to again be beaten within an inch of his life and be nailed on a cross and suffer the pain and the weight of our sin, not his own. And this is how he responds. This is Jesus' perspective. Matthew records that going a little further, this is Matthew 26, 39, going a little further, Jesus fell to his face on the ground and prayed. He said, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That Jesus wasn't immune from these feelings of frustration, of doubt, of pain, that, that he didn't even hide those from God. Maybe some of you might have come here tonight only to hear that, that you don't have to hide your frustration from God. He can handle it. And that Jesus brings this to his Father and says, I don't get it. This is a very difficult and dark chapter, but I trust you that this isn't the end of the story, and so I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to invite you to enter into the situation that I do not want to go through, that I do not know how this is going to be. It's going to be, I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to be dark. I know it's not, you know, the happy joy, go lucky that was happening on Sunday. Can we just go back there for just a little bit maybe, right? You know, I mean, he's in this very difficult moment, and yet he still has this amazing perspective of saying, I want you to do what you're going to do in me, not just what I want you to do for me. Not my will, but your will. And, and as we see that in our Savior, it should give us great hope that no matter what it is we're experiencing, Jesus wants to enter into that. That through that, Jesus wants to do something in us. He wants to transform us. He wants to awaken something that's fallen asleep. He wants to break something that we've placed on the too highest shelf in his place. He wants to redefine some priorities. He wants to shift 
our perspective to be a little more aligned with who he is. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about a moment, and maybe you've already been thinking about it for a while. But think about a moment in your life right now where you're experiencing that difficulty. You're experiencing that frustration. You're experiencing that darkness or that lack of hope. And if you were honest, you'd say, my faith in God might even be being tested. I want you to think about it. And we're going to have an opportunity to bring that to God and allow him to enter into that, that exact situation. But I want you to think about and I want you to pray, God, is there something that you want to teach me through this experience? God, I don't like it. I don't get it. I wish it was different. But God, what if there's something that you're trying to teach me through this that I would learn no other way? That, that phrase I said earlier, that cliche of, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. we say that all the time because it's true, right? And, and there's so many times in your life, I'm sure you've had this experience where something was difficult or something didn't go your way, but yet you look back on it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that happened. I didn't want to go to this school, I went, but I got into this school, so I went, but that's where I met my best friend, or that's where I met my husband or my wife, right? I thought I was going down this career path, and I didn't get that promotion, and I was really angry, but then that opened up this whole new side of my life for me to experience this new hobby or start this new company, right? And then other times, there are situations where there isn't those answers. The doctor called. Test came back positive, right? He didn't call. Again. And, and sometimes those moments don't have those easy pat answers. But yet, if we were to somehow ask God to give us his perspective and to say, I want to see what you have for me. That even though your plan might be different, I'm trusting you that it's better. What's so incredible about Jesus is even for his closest followers, after they've gone through this experience, they've gone through this incredible week from very, very high to very, very low, from excitement and anticipation to disappointment, and disenchantment, and even frustration. The disciples are obviously confused. And as we read through John, we see that, that they're starting to even get antsy about, what are you going to do then, Jesus? If you're not going to be our king, what are you going to do? Who are you really? Have we been confused? Have we been following and trusting the wrong guy? And he invites his closest friends to experience something that they've experienced many times before, a meal together. And he invites them up into a room and he takes things that were very familiar, bread and wine. And yet he gives them new, them new meaning. He gives them a new priority. And in doing so, he allows his disciples to shift their focus. And he invites us to do the same, to shift our focus from what we want God to do for us to what God might want to do in us. And so as the band comes up, we're going to have a time to experience this same moment together. The same moment that Jesus led his best friends, his closest followers, his disciples through, where he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is like my body and it's broken for you, that I actually have to be broken and crushed to provide for you what you need. And he passed it around and he had his friends take it and eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. It's a new way to interact with God. And this is like my blood that's going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins to give you new life 
But Jesus knew that his life would have to end, his blood would have to be shed in order for us to have the hope, to have the freedom, to have the life that we were promised by God, that they were promised, that those Jews that were in his lifetime were waiting for, and that for us, that he's going to save us from our sin and from ourselves, that that had to happen. That dark chapter is something that Jesus had to go through, but that wasn't the end of the story. But as he does that, he is, he is not just sharing a meal, but he's giving new meaning, and he's showing his friends exactly who he really is. Exactly who he really is. That they were expecting some political freedom, some, some social liberation, and yet Jesus says, no, I have something different in mind. It's actually something better. Because if I free you from this power, someone else is going to come in and overtake you. If I free you from this social pressure, that something else you're going to submit yourself to and be addicted to later. That, that this thing that you might be idolizing, you're going to eventually get disappointed and frustrated with it, and you'll demonize that too. But, but here is me. And I'm here, and I'm waiting for you to invite me to enter in. I'm here waiting for you to say yes. I'm here waiting for you to say this part of my life that I wanted to edit and put off to the side, Jesus, that's actually the part that I need you in right now the most. And he offers himself freely to us. The promise of Easter is not that we have a God that wants to make all things easier, but instead we have a Savior who came on a rescue mission for us to make all things new. And so as we celebrate and experience communion together tonight, as you come up and rip off a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice and then eat it and go back to your seat, I encourage you to have moments where you can pray and ask God, God, will you shift my perspective? Will you, will you help me to see this as a tool? So that God, I don't want to just expect things from you. I don't want you to just do things for me, but I want you to help me see that even in the midst of those difficult and dark circumstances that you are wanting and desiring and capable and lovingly able to do things in me, to grow me from the inside out, to transform my heart, to allow me to become the person that you dream for me to be. And as you go throughout this week, as you go from here tonight, that you would have an opportunity to think about those situations, to come face-to-face perhaps with something that is already going on in your life, or, or some of you might have something come up this week between Monday and next Sunday. Somebody might come up in your life and that you would be able to pause in that moment and say, God, help me to see how you're working in this even when I don't understand. Help me to trust you that you are active and moving and and working this in my life even though it's going to maybe work out differently than I had hoped. God, help me to look to you not for you to do something for me but to look to you as the only one that can actually do something in me. Something that outside circumstances, even myself, can't do. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to experience communion. Again, you can come up, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and experience Jesus. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That some of you, that might be the first time you're experiencing, experiencing him tonight. That's so exciting. But let's pray together. I want you to take just a couple seconds and think about that experience. Think about that situation that's difficult, that's dark, where you're frustrated with God.
Jesus, thank you so much that you took intentional time to show us who you really are, to show us what you're really about. So God, that when we come across moments in our life that don't seem to make sense, situations in our life that just don't add up, that that in your loving grace you don't do the things for us perhaps that we expected you to do. God, that in those moments we can pause, we can actually invite you in. Ask for your perspective. Jesus, even on Palm Sunday, you knew what that crowd was like. You knew that they were going to turn. You knew that they were going to go from high to low. And you know us as well. You know that we can do that so easily. And so, Jesus, we ask for you to enter into our difficult moments, enter, in, enter into our doubt, our confusion, enter into the parts of our life that we think are too big for us, so they must be too big for you, that we would bring you into those as well. And that you would remind us, God, of what it is that you're trying to grow in us so that we can focus less on the things that we want you to do for us. God, thank you so much that you have a different plan, a bigger plan, a better plan for our hope, for our freedom, for our salvation. Jesus, we ask you to do a work in us now as we remember you through communion. Thank you that you gave your life for us, that you did not stay where it was comfortable, but that you entered into difficulty and pain, that you understand where we might be sitting tonight, and that you did that for us, that you gave your life so that we could have life. Jesus, we lift you high, high above all other things in our life, anything else that we're trusting in, God, we want to submit that to you. Jesus, you are the highest. You are the highest. It's in your name we pray. Amen.